Welcome to AMI Sites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. With your host, Ami Kassar. Ami is the founder and CEO of Multifunding, an advisory company that helps you grow and stay in control of your business. Hello and welcome. My name is Ami Kassar, founder and CEO of Multifunding. Since 2010, Multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions working with hundreds of lenders across the nation. Joining me today is my friend, Dale Robinette. Dale has a 25-year history of successfully helping companies achieve exponential growth. He is an expert at developing concise and actionable strategies that will allow your company and its management team to achieve results previously considered unattainable. Our main topic today will focus on what Dale has learned coaching businesses throughout the pandemic, and now as we emerge out of it, welcome Dale. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Dale, tell me everything. (laughs) How much time do we have? You know, it's an interesting topic, though, uh, the idea of what did we learn through the pandemic? Um, I I think that when when you look back on that and you reflect on it, one, I think we're going to be reflecting on it for a decade, if not decades. And I think that there's going to be a ton of things that are going to be changed just based on the, you know, what we've learned through this thing. And, you know, there's a lot of obvious things, but what, what I found as it relates to the CEOs uh, in particular is that one, they're, they were exceptionally resilient. And so I, I was pleasantly surprised uh, to actually see how creative they were. Uh, how agile uh, they were. And then, you know, many of them had to pivot, you know, they pivoted their business and, and really started looking already at the new normal, maybe as much as a year ago. And I was very impressed with the, uh, how calmly they, they did that and they started to look at it. And I'm sure, Ami, you, you saw some, some similar reactions from the people that you're working with. Yeah, just many people we were working with weren't that calm. <laughs> because they were desperate for money or what? No, I think that, I mean, I'm joking about it, but in the situation, at least at the beginning, there was this terrible sense of that they were going to get left out. And people wanted, in, in our situation, they wanted to make sure they were going to get it before the money ran out. So oh, okay. I, I, I do think that, um, most people have exhibited tremendous resilience. And I do think that the question now, and again, for everyone's benefit, I'm not sure when this, they'll be hear, hearing this, we're uh, recording this in May 2021. The question now is the pivoting isn't over. That's right. Now we have to repivot and we have to figure out what we learned that we're going to keep and what we're what are our old habits we're going to go back to? Well, but isn't that kind of the definition of a lot of the mid to smaller uh, companies and any company in general is they should be constantly evaluating the, the environment, the market, and considering pivoting. And I think that this one forced them. I think that if I were to throw a differentiator on it was that the pressure and the, there were so many dramatic changes that this one forced them to make big decisions quickly. Oh yeah, but now the 
it was like you got thrown into the fire. And now the question is, are you going to jump out of the fire and go back to your old habits? Right. Or are you going to, uh, what, what are you going to do? So, I mean, I'll give you an example. Maybe we can talk of your example. I used to spend all my time traveling and speaking. Not all of it, but a big hunk of it. And for the last 14, 15 months, I couldn't do that. And I'm saying to myself, wow, well, this is pretty cool. I got to do this all over Zoom. I didn't have to fly and go through all that exhausting process. And it was 80 to 90% as good as in person. Now that groups are starting to reemerge in person, am I going to go back to my old habits or I'm going to insist on doing what I did? Taylor, you're a Vistage chair and a scaling up coach. So for the benefit of the audience, Vistage chairs spend a lot of their time driving to go see their clients in one-on-ones and spend an hour, hour and a half with them coaching, and then they get in the car and they go to the next one. Well, for the last 15, 14 months, you couldn't do that, so you did it on Zoom. Yep. Now that you can do it again, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think that I, what I would say is there's going to be uh, some people who are very comfortable meeting with Zoom and will want to continue doing that. And then there's others that, you know, they, they're, they're over it. They, they want to meet face-to-face for whatever reason. Um, and I'll probably adapt to, you know, it's one of those meet your customer where they are and I'll right. probably adapt to the, the customer. And, you know, if they're more comfortable meeting face-to-face, I don't, I don't mind doing that. If they're getting the most value out of it one way or the other, that's all I really care about. Right. But, and that's just a microcosm of, I think the decisions that entrepreneurs and business owners are going to make. So for our team at multifunding as an example although our office technically opened again in january and people are slowly coming in and out but it's not required well we instituted every morning at 10 o'clock a 15-minute huddle and even though we've been working virtually we're probably communicating better as a team than we ever have in the life of our company yeah and what are we going to do are we going to require, require people to come in? Are we going to keep those daily huddles? Are we going to only hire locally? Or, or are we going to say it's okay to hire around the world or around the country? There, there's so much, I think, to sort through and process about what worked and what we want to keep from what we were forced to do and what, we're going to, what habits we're going to go back to our old habits from. Yeah, you know, and it's an interesting comment. One of the things that I observed is that there were companies that had to shut down. There were companies that were not deemed as, quote, essential and shut down for, what, two and a half months. The interesting thing is, is that um, while they, when they came back online, their, their revenue jumped back up, uh, they couldn't make up the difference. They couldn't make up the two months or two and a half months that they, that they were down. And yet, so their top line didn't meet their goals. But the interesting thing is their bottom lines actually exceeded them. And so why, and it's all these things that you're talking about, they didn't have the travel. They didn't have conferences. They didn't have entertainment. They don't, even the office expenses. And so to me, that's a question. Like if you're a shareholder or an investor in these companies, 
do you allow them? You know, do you, do, what, how, are you, how are you going to judge them going forward, knowing that the company actually works perfectly fine in this other situation and can make more money doing it? 100%. I mean, I know people, Dale, and maybe you, I'm sure you do too. I have friends who literally shut down their offices for good. Their, yeah. leases were, their leases were up and they said, screw this. We're not having this expense. We're working together fine. Virtually, we're done having an office. And then I signed a five-year lease in a brand new space in January because I said, at least in my calculation, at some point, the world is going to come back. We need a place. We need the creative energy to be together and we're going to do this. I don't know if one person's right or one person's wrong, right. but this is part of the decision. I mean, I do think that most business owners and entrepreneurs have made exponentially more decisions in the last year than probably they have in the last five. I agree. And now, but the pace of that decision-making isn't slowing down. The pace of the decision-making based on what? Now you have to decide how are your customers going to act? What do your customers want? Right. What are they going to do? How do they want to be serviced? How do they want to be treated? If you have a sales force that used to go around the country and visiting customers and having building face-to-face -face relationships, and to your point, they've been doing it more cheaply over Zoom over the last year. Yeah. Are you going to invest for them to go back? I feel this enormous yearning now, which surprises me, to go back on the road and get back on stages and pound some flesh and be in front of some audiences. There's a, there's a big debate around that one in particular, and I do find it fascinating. I started my career in sales. You know, there's been pressure. Zoom is not new. Uh, we've had this capability for probably, what, two decades? And so, you know, I used to travel international to go visit clients. Why? You know, and, and so it's interesting. There's been a lot of pressure on that, I'm going to say, over the last decade. Uh, why can't we, you know, do our sales calls uh, virtually? And there's been a lot of pressure, I think, out of the sales organization saying we can't establish relationships. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do when we're face to face that we can't do virtually. And yet, if you look back at the numbers this past year, I would bet that the, uh, the numbers are at least equal, if not up. Why? Because it's a numbers game and you can do more calls on Zoom getting on a, you know, getting on a plane and flying to name your place. So I, I do believe that there are going to be parts of the organization that are going to be impacted differently than others. And, you know, and some things work really well and some frankly didn't. The ones that didn't are the creatives. I found that most organizations that have a creative element one of the things that they said they were missing was the ability to collaborate quickly and effectively, meaning just turning over and saying, hey, I have a question. And uh, even though they, they tried a lot of different uh, software tools and things like that, communication type of tools, it still wasn't quite as effective as they are when they're, when they're in the same office together. So I think, but there again, I think software tools will come out. You know, you're talking about doing your you're speaking virtual. Well, it'll be really a hybrid. There'll be people in the room. You just won't be the, one of them, right? Well, what do you think of the technology related to that? How good is it today? Not very good. Not, or at least Awful. I don't know about it yet. 
it's, gonna, it's so awful, right? And you know, talk about an opportunity. I mean, I think there's a tremendous opportunity, and the technology already exists. I come out of that world, and you know, there's nothing here. I'm doing hybrid meetings with an owl for the camera, which which looks for the sound, and it it kind of accentuates that area of the room. But the audio, meaning the speaker and the microphone on the owl is horrendous if you have even a reasonably sized room. So then I need a distributed microphone around the room and then, which has to be wired in, in a daisy chain thing. What happened to Bluetooth, right? And then I use an external Bose my, uh, uh, speaker, why? I mean, so I think there'll be a lot of things that will evolve as we as we you know work our way through this and i think the same is true for sales i think that you know there's going to be di different tools that will come out to make it even more effective you know so and it will take time and that's okay and not every place or every organization will adapt but it's a great example of what i talked about repivoting okay before the pandemic i would turn down do webinars i would say i'm not going to try to pretend to talk to an audience over Zoom or over WebEx or whatever, it'll be a disaster. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and suddenly I was talking to thousands of people every week. And I think I got really good at presenting online and engaging people in a discussion or a dialogue over Zoom. And now, so that was the pivot. And now I'm realizing, or I realized last week, that those tools don't work when the people you're talking to are in the same room and you're on the screen. You know, the other thing I, I thought was interesting, I'll go back to the question of what's changed in the pandemic and when you're coaching business owners. And it, it's interesting that there were a couple of thoughts that came to my mind is one, the, the owners really care deeply about their employees. And, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, most of them maintain the 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 employees they they did not let them go or anything like that even though you know i understand there's the ppp and these other funding programs but as you know it didn't really cover everything and uh over the period of time it covered a short period of time and still a lot of these companies opted to take care of their employees the other thing is is i saw i saw companies that really helped set them up you know they sent them home they bought them computers uh, so that they could go home. Some of them bought them desks, chairs, you know, and I was really, I was really uh, proud of some of the CEOs and how they were uh, acting and reacting to the situation. And then, you know, there was a big social element missing. You saw these people doing like happy hours, virtual happy hours and things yeah. like that. And I really respected that. I think that that was, that was an interesting thing. The other thing that I saw was, the CEOs truly care deeply for their customers. And when I say that, like I've, saw, I've seen situations where um, they could have raised, they had every, every reason to raise the prices to their customer base. But because their customer base had pre-sold at a given rate, they didn't raise the prices. Even though right now, as you know, supply chains are all restricted, prices are going through the roof for so many different things. And they're really fighting hard to keep those prices low to protect their customer base. And I, I thought that was really interesting as well to see um, how how much they really do care about their their customer base, not just to feed their families and feed their employees, but just to truly watching out for their partners. 
you know, and the people there, they're the companies that they have to work with. So I, 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 what I would say is in a lot of cases, I think the CEOs, this was their finest hour. I think that they really stepped up. I think they had to make a lot of tough decisions without all the information. And, you know, as you know, that's just, that's really challenging to do. And it, it was just really interesting being part of that and experiencing that and seeing the way people were reacting, you know, and even with your stuff, I mean, everything related to the funding, as you know, I mean, for how long did we have a little bit of information and they, they had to make some tough decisions about what this money means, when they were actually going to get it, uh, how they could actually apply it. Was it actually going to be forgiven? There was a lot of unknowns going into this and they had to make some really tough decisions really early on. So it was just, I, I, I found that in general, I thought that the CEOs as a, as a broad scope did exceptionally well. Only, because, I'll, they, I'll, only because they were under your tutelage, correct? What I'll say is, is that it definitely, if there was uh, ever a time that the insurance policy uh, paid off, it was over this period of time. I mean, there's no doubt that having other CEOs to be able to talk to, for instance, for Vistage was exceptionally helpful. Having the various resources like yourself that we could reach into and say, how, how, do we, how do we need to look at this? What are the things we need to consider was exceptionally helpful. Do you know that at Vistage, I forget the percentage now. We we did a we did a, a survey to find out what percentage of Vistage members got funding on the first round, like the, before they had to come up with the second wave. And it was I, I, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was in the 90th percentile. It was way high. I remember that. Yeah. And so you know, we were there for them, and they were there for each other. So that was really helpful from a, a scaling up point of view. I found that period of time interesting for them too. Who's thinking about scaling uh, during a downturn? Well, as it turns out, some of, the, some of the better leaders actually were. And they saw this as an opportunity. And they saw that there was an opportunity to grab something when everybody else was scrambling just to, just to stay alive. And uh, so that was fun as well, working with, uh, working with companies and positioning them for, for future growth. And now they're so positioned, you know, they're positioned so well, because of course the market's going crazy, but we were way ahead of that, you know? So, so that's, that's what I've seen as far as the, you know, how people, how owners really looked back or how they handled the, the pandemic and then what they've learned and how they're, they're gonna go forward. I think the going forward part is an interesting part is, as you know, going forward is always grayer um, but if you go down, if you really break it down, I still think that it's still the basics. You know, there's the people portion of it. Right now, there's a huge issue with talent, uh, just trying to get talent, for instance, adding key talent, just or even just adding any kind of uh, resources right now is, is really challenging. I'm seeing more companies investing in leadership. I think that they recognize through the downturn that sometimes they didn't have the right leaders in place. And it showed, you know, you put put it under pressure, and you see really quickly what's working and what's not. Um, so they're looking for key leadership positions. I think too, the other one that they're looking at moving forward is their strategy. So you know, we talked a minute ago about pivot, but I think if you look at the strategy moving forward, I'm not sure the old strategy is still still there. You know, like not, you said, not in all cases. 
do they, do they revert back to what they were doing before? And I think that they still have to be exceptionally uh, creative, innovative, and possibly even pivoting to adjust to whatever's, whatever's lies ahead. You know, and I also think, I also think we also, many people, I'm, I'm maybe I'm projecting my own feelings in this conversation, but people also need a reboot. People need, I know you were just away, Dale, for a couple of days. People need to go on vacation for a week or a couple of days and get out of town and go lie on the beach somewhere and just recharge. Because I do think the number of decisions that business CEOs have had to make over the last year is exponential and that's not slowing down. Well, I will say this to that point. I had a, a client that I was working with who told me that he was stressed out of his mind. And I looked at him and I had been working closely with him and I had no idea. So he had, he had done an amazing job of masking it. So then I started asking all of my members and clients on a scale one to 10, how stressed are you? People were stressed out of their minds. Everybody no. was asking me. And I was amazed. I had no idea. And so, you know, we've brought in consultants to talk, to talk it through. We've brought in different types of resources to just help people with it. But I agree with you. I mean, people at this point, they need to shut it down. You know, and I think, like, for instance, the travel industry is going to go bonkers. I think it is. Everybody I know wants to go. But yeah, that was, a, that was and continues to be, by the way, a, a big thing. People are still stressed. So, you know, just understanding that. And, and it was interesting, even your family. Uh, I, started asking my, I started asking my kids. Was, I was surprised they were stressed. Right. So but keep in mind that almost everyone I know, COVID has impacted everyone at some way in home directly or indirectly their parents or their kids or their siblings or whatever. So there's like this domino stress effect. I, I wish the world could take a week vacation. Right. I can't, but I wish. So. Well, we did it a year ago for two and a half months. So right, maybe we should do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, uh, my friend, so how, how about Sorry. from a cash point really quick? What do you, what are you seeing? Like, cause they're going to need fuel uh you know to navigate these options and, and and be able to drive it forward it's it appears to me there's a lot of uh options available to them today what are you seeing as far as um cash and availability of it and the way people are using it moving forward well what's interesting is i think a lot of businesses balance sheets are in better shape than they were before the pandemic because they got the PPP round one and or round two, or they got some EIDL money, or in rare instances, they got Main Street money. So there are many businesses that have plenty of cash right now, which is actually slowing down our business a little bit. And a question will be at what point, and still businesses seem nervous to hit the button on aggressive growth investing. People are still skittish. Most of our work these days is in recapitalizations or partner buyouts or acquisitions. There's not that much work in, I want to buy those 10 new pieces of equipment or I want to expand that product line, expand that market line. I think that will come back in the next 90 days, but that's not where we are today. 
that actually really surprises me, especially given the supply chain and what's going on. I wonder if it's not related to that in the sense that they don't need more equipment because they can't get the supplies to drive it. It's a more important time than ever, I think, to make sure you've got the right working capital solution, especially with all the supply chain issues, but not many people are there. Well, it's an interesting topic and thank you for uh, having me go through it with you. I think it's interesting. My pleasure. And I really appreciate you, Dale, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners. Dale Robinette is one of the smartest guys I know. He's a great Vistas chair in San Diego, working with clients locally there. And he's an awesome scaling up coach, working with clients around the world on the scaling up methodology. So check him out at DaleRobinette.com. Is that it? That's it. Look, I got that right. Very impressive. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us today on AMI Sites with your host, Ami Kassar, the foremost SBA thought leader. Make sure you visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.